Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we find out about March Mammal Madness, orangutans in Sumatra and woodpeckers coordinating their attacks. The sounds of woodpeckers tell you more than they're just hunting for food. Plus, we find out about how Sumatran orangutans are actually doing a little bit better than we thought. And we preview Mammal March Madness 2016 and find out who's in this tournament and how you can get involved. It's March. You know what that means. It means that in the Northern Hemisphere, spring is in the air. In the Southern Hemisphere, it's autumn. Days are getting shorter or longer. But one thing you can count on in all this time of change is that it can be encapsulated in one phrase. Let's get ready to rumble! Mammal March Madness 2016. Now for those of you who've been listening to this podcast before, or those of you who follow Mammal March Madness on Twitter, you'll probably not need this brief explainer that we're about to go into. But for those of you who are uneducated and unfamiliar, give you a brief summary and recap. Now for those of you who aren't American, you probably won't be familiar with the college basketball tournament March Madness, but effectively it's this big knockout championship tournament that a lot of people in the United States follow over the month of March. Scientists, however, not being one to known to typically associate with sport, often felt left out. And in 2013, a BuzzFeed article basically mocked March Madness by coming up with an animal madness tournament where they had different types of animals fight. But unfortunately, there was only 16, not the full brackets of 64, as typically happens in the March Madness tournament. So, with that in mind, Dr. Katie Hind, who is an associate professor at Arizona State University, came up with her own tournament, one that would better reflect the spirit of March Madness. And she called it Mammal March Madness. And together with her colleagues, Dr. Joshua Drew, Dr. Christy Luton, and Dr. Chris Anderson from various universities across America, they run the Mammal March Madness Tournament. Now, this tournament effectively does not actually make real animals fight because that would be barbaric and also difficult. What it does instead is actually act as a kind of fun version of a knockout voting tournament that uses journal papers, actual scholarly research, and statistical simulation on a variety of different animals and their environments as they combat and fight. And each round, a winner is chosen, and then they progress to the next round. Now, that would be pretty boring if it was just being done in someone's Excel sheet simulator, but it's actually written up much in the way of any other type of professional sports with exciting commentary and great artwork, and published on Twitter. And if you don't use Twitter, you can follow it via the blogs or also in the Storify accounts. And over the past three years, it's sort of taken the internet world by storm and is used quite extensively by science communicators and educators to help teach their class about animals, but also by scientific professionals or those who are psy-curious just to have a bit of fun and enjoy the premise of a sporting tournament while actually learning about animals. Now, last year, we had a big, tough competition between the mythical mammals, the mini-mammals, amongst other categories. And what was quite fascinating about the uh, 2015 battle is that the, the, obviously the mythical mammals was a bit of an interesting category, but it, it did show a great opportunity for several Australian m- mammals, such as the quokka, which surprisingly made it very far through despite being quite small, adorable and cute. However, the final was between the mighty mongoose, which everyone really tipped to do pretty well because those are wily suckers, 
and the Sumatran Rhino. Of course, the Dwarf Mongoose and the Sumatran Rhino did fight, but however, the Dwarf Mongoose, despite its ability to take down many snakes <laughs> in single-handedly and, and tackle prey much larger than itself, could not match the Sumatran Rhino's horn and thick skin. Sumatran Rhino, famed for living in the jungles of Sumatra in Indonesia, survived quite well and became the 2015 champion. And that was all great. Um, but now, in 2016, the tournament is about to begin. It's about to begin on the 7th of March, which is the time that this podcast will air. Um, so hopefully you can get involved. And the first battle will actually be the Thor Hero Shrew versus the King Midas Bat playing off for the wild card spot. So effectively, what these two things will be doing will be these many little animals be fighting for the right to join the major tournament. Now, the rest of the tournament is broken up into four categories. Mighty Giants, which includes things such as the Giant Panda, the Giant River Otter, the, and also things such as the uh, Giant Elephant Shrew, which is neither giant nor an elephant nor really a shrew. And then there's the category of the Chill Mammals. Those who are adapted to cold environments, such as obviously the polar bear, the caribou, the Antarctic fur seal. Then, of course, is the mascot mammals. Mammals that are mascots for various university colleges and institutions, such as the West Point mules, the Naval Academy goat, the Texas A&M javelina, or the Yale bulldog. And the Mammals of the Nouns. This is an interesting category, which includes such features as Goat of the Mountain, Wallaby of the Swamp, Rabbit of the Volcano. And all of these brackets will fight until there's only four champions left, and the winner will be crowned after each of those brackets resolve in the semifinals and later finals. Now, how can you be involved? Well, you can search for Mammal March Madness, uh, and that will take you to, obviously, some of the websites run by Dr. Katie Hind, such as Mammal Suck Milk, which is her blog, which features all the details on the brackets. You can also search Twitter for the hashtag 2016MMM. Once you're there, you can get involved by simply just filling out your bracket and then following along at own, seeing if your picks manage to make it very far or get knocked out through a series of unfortunate events. And as you track over the series of the month, you'll probably learn quite a lot about different types of animals, what they can do, what challenges they face, and how they respond to their environment, as well as having a great sporting tournament to chat about with your friends and your new friends that you'll make online on Twitter. So that's Mammal March Madness, and we'll be keeping track of the results as we go through through the month of March, um, and tracking who we think might win. Here at the Grange Point, we're tipping Goat of the Mountain, the Mountain Goat, to do reasonably well this year. However, we do suspect that the Polar Bear is probably going to come away the winner, given that they're quite useful, strong, and used to adapting to strange and unusual environments. You never know. There could be an upset. If you think differently to us, have a look at the brackets and make your own predictions and track them as you go through. Sometimes Cinderella's or unsuspecting winners actually do happen and make it a long way, such as the mighty mini quoke Just hopefully your bracket doesn't get 10 wrecked like mine did last year, when the 10 wreck made it surprisingly far throughout the entire tournament. A lot of us would be familiar with the idea of woodpeckers banging their heads against the trees, carving out a little niche for themselves or for a nest or to find food. 
And, you know, we, we always have that cartoon image of one just rocking back and forth. But the noise of a woodpecker banging on a tree does sound a bit like drumming. And like drumming, it has its own unique music, meaning and interpretation. And researchers from Wake Forest University have found that the very highly territorial downy woodpecker interprets the different drumming intensity of its adversaries to figure out who is a threat and whose bark is a bit worse than their bite. Birds typically use bird song and variety of calls, and whilst they may sound pleasant, the majority of the time they're actually either mating or territorial calls, warning others to stay away, this is my turf. Puts a new meaning on the beautiful bird song we're used to hearing if it's mostly just angry yelling of testosterone fueled males. Matthew Fuchsjaga from Wake Forest University, who's an assistant professor of biology there, and a team of graduate students, including Eric Shupe, basically went out and studied the drumming of woodpeckers to see what the response and purpose was for these calls. Now, it was suspected that these were to do with ter- territorial uh, signaling, much in the same way that birdsong is used but they wanted to actually figure out whether there's any secret meaning to it. And what they found was quite interesting. They actually looked at woodpecker pairs and see how they responded to the various drumming noises that were going on. And what they found is that the partners, these pairs of woodpeckers, will actually coordinate and cooperate to decide on uh, who they're fighting, depending on the size and shape of their opponent. And how they figure that out is uh, they figure it out based on the types of woodpecks they hear from the other birds. Now, an intruder woodpecker with a short drum is perceived as a whimper, while a longer drum signifies a tougher, tough guy intruder. And so what they did to test this out was basically recorded samples of various drumming types and styles from different males, and then played them back to manipulate these territory holding, these holding pairs, to see what the response would be. So if you present a breeding pair of woodpeckers with a longer drum from a more aggressive intruder, the pair will actually coordinate their territorial defense behavior and figure out a way to attack the intruder. Where, if it's a shorter, weaker drum, the resident bear doesn't really bother and just basically sends one of them off to handle it, thinking that, you know, obviously we can take this, this, this intruder into our midst. So, when you hear a woodpecker's sound, you might think they're looking for food, but it's actually a lot more complex than that. It underlies and communicates a whole different type of signals which are both used to coordinate, intimidate and protect territory as well as potentially take it. When you think of palm oil, an image springs to mind, and that's probably of a desolate, cut-down forest being burnt out with a uh, very dishevelled-looking orangutan trying to struggle to survive, or perhaps an orangutan being killed or taken off into captivity. And this is an image that has come about because of the rapid decline of orangutans in Indonesia, particularly Sumatran orangutans uh, in the north Indonesian island of Sumatra. It's become critically endangered in recent years, both for a combination of poaching and forest loss, as its habitat, its forest, is being converted for agricultural purposes, typically often growing of palm oil. 
And we believed that these animals were really rapidly dying out, quite sadly, and images filled our TV screens consequently. However, a group of international researchers have conducted an extensive series to estimate the actual number of Sumatran orangutans left. And what they've discovered is there's about 14,600 of these animals still alive in the wild today. That may sound like a small number, but it's in fact 8,000 more than we previously thought. Now, this is great news, um, because obviously there's almost double the amount of orangutans that we thought we had, which means that they're not quite as endangered as we previously thought. And this was basically because they undertook a more wide-ranging survey. However, this doesn't mean that it's actually still okay, mostly because... If the deforestation of the, the rainforest in Sumatra continue at estimated rates, basically about 4,500 of these orangutans will be gone by 2030, mostly because there won't be the habitats left to support them there. Now, obviously, as the islands of Indonesia sort of industrialise a bit more and have more land taken for farming, there has to be a careful balance between conservation and growth of human habited areas. And researchers, particularly Sergei Vich from the Liverpool John Moores University, notes that there does need to be a careful balance between the two. Just because there's now more orangutans than we previously thought doesn't mean that we can be complacent, he states. Now, what they would like is for the local government authorities, particularly the Indonesian government and the local governments for the Isles of Sumatra, to actually make sure that there's appropriate impact assessments for the environmental impact in these areas, and that when there is development in those areas, where there is potential or known colonies of orangutans, uh, to make sure that there is either areas left aside for them or to actually build places and safe spaces for them to inhabit to avoid or reduce the impact. So whilst we have found more orangutans, and there are more out there than we thought, we still need to make sure we keep them in mind so we don't get back to that terrible circumstance when we thought there would only be a few thousand left. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we previewed Mammal March Madness 2016, plus we found out about orangutans surviving surprisingly in the Sumatran jungles, and we heard about how woodpeckers use their beaks to communicate and coordinate attacks and defence. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.